Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. My guests today are Lee and Dave O'Neill of Radical Roots Farm. Radical Roots is a certified organic farm designed and implemented using permaculture principles, as Lee and Dave are both trained permaculture practitioners. With just five acres, the O'Neills and their five annual interns produce over 60, yes, 60,000 pounds of food during their 30-week CSA season, as well as tens of thousands of plants from seed for their nursery business. Before we get to that interview, some announcements and updates. This show is listener-supported, and over 90% of the revenue used to keep this show going comes from you, the listener. That includes all the normal basic costs you might expect, like equipment and electricity, and as winter comes, heat, but also paid for the journey for me to meet and interview Lee and Dave O'Neill at their farm in Virginia. This show needs your help to continue growing and expanding and offering more of these in-person interviews. Find out how to make a one-time or ongoing monthly contribution at www.thepermaculturepodcast.com support. I am also revamping and relaunching the PDC program in 2015 to offer more direct interaction and mentoring. Email me, show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, if you would like more information about that class. And as my focus is on adult education, I want to thank Jen Mendez at permikids.com for her work and support of this podcast and her interest in teaching permaculture to children and their parents. Two ways she does this are through her education design course and Edge Alliances. The education design course is a way that you can map a learning landscape to reinvent and redesign what it means to learn, educate, and be educated with children. The next EDC begins on January 9th, 2015. The next Edge Alliance is on Saturday, January 10th, from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern, when Kelly Hogan of the Institute of Permaculture Education for Children returns to the Edge Alliance to share how to integrate traditional permaculture learning into the lives of young children and adolescents. After that, on Sunday, January 25th, 2015, from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern, the focus is on New Year's resolutions, specifically the goals and actions we're taking to better care for ourselves, our families, our communities, and the earth. Find out more about these Edge Alliances and the Education Design course at permikids.com. Now then, on to Lee and Dave O'Neill. I'll join you afterwards with some more information from the material in this interview. Then Dave, Mr. O'Neill, if you can give us a bit of your biography and background, how you came to do what you're doing here at Radical Roots Farm, and we can take the conversation from there. Sure, Scott. Well, I uh, took a PVC way back in 1998. That was an eye-opening experience. It was at Lost Valley in Oregon, and really gave me some foundation to spring forward on the path I was already really interested and passionate on. I had first been inspired by permaculture when I was traveling in Guatemala in the mid-90s. And I went to a permaculture site right on Lago Atitlan, and it was the most amazing, abundant, diverse garden farm place I'd ever been to and it just you know I, I stayed there for three days and they had some converted silos that they had housing in and they had stacks of the old permaculture international journal and I read through those and I wandered the gardens and I feel like three days later I, I left there with, with a different view on life just really that was a, a critical piece visiting that garden it was very powerful for me and then about 10 years later, I was giving a tour of my own farm and 
I told that story about the, the garden, the permaculture site in Guatemala. And one of my guests on the tour said, oh, that was my site down in Guatemala. And he had just uh, moved to, to my town, Harrisonburg, Virginia, and had started started a nonprofit called New Communities Project. So that was, that was a neat connection that felt like it came full circle. When did you become a farmer then? If permaculture entered your life in 1998, when did farming enter your life? It was around the same time. This was, you know, my post-college era when I was busy exploring different ways to live and different things that interested me. And I feel like the, the four years after college, for me, were more growthful and learning intensive than maybe the four years in college. I don't know, but that's when I that's when I was doing apprenticeships on organic farms. I worked at a farm in Oregon called Horton Road Organics, and that was kind of the first my first farm season. And from there, I did three years of apprenticeships, mostly on small scale organic market gardens, some botanical gardens. I worked at a botanical garden in in Baja, Mexico, and there just learned all about uh, how plant families and are organized in the relationships and genomes and, and how plants work together and how they evolve. So that was a growthful experience. After working mostly in Oregon for three years on farms, my wife and I moved back to Virginia to start our own farm. We felt ready. You know, at one point early in that in that three-year period, we felt like we could do apprenticeships forever because we were, we were so rich and growthful and we were learning so much. And then um, all of a sudden, we're like, oh, it's time to start our own farm. We need to put our roots down and, and, and you know, really, really get started. So we, we rented land, about a half acre is what we started with on rented land on the banks of the Shenandoah River. And we had a half acre, you know, truck farm that first season where we went to farmer's markets. And really that season, it was kind of like the fourth year of our apprenticeship because that's the year we got to uh, make our own decisions and make mistakes. And those mistakes are, are how we, we continue to learn and grow. But, but in this context, we're working for ourselves. So that was in the year 2000 when we started Radical Roots Farm. And it was on rented land. It was really small and simple, and we were just experimenting and growing and doing farmer's markets. So that was that was fun and inspiring and really just uh, empowering to do it for ourselves. So then we bought this site, uh, which is five acres, in 2003. And on this land, we, we kind of had a blank slate. It was wide open. Um, it had just been a hayfield for years and years. And... You know, it had some limestone rock out seams. It, it had a southwest facing slope and a few trees, but it was just orchard grass and fescue, and, and it was wide open canvas. And so we really brought our years of apprenticeships and visiting other farms because. I guess for our, our extended honeymoon, we went to Australia and New Zealand for a year and bike toured and did woofing willing workers on organic farms and saw a lot of neat sites. And so all of those things kind of combined in our background with our permaculture education, with our hands-on experience, with all the mistakes we had made on our rented land. And we took our time designing this site and really wanted it to be kind of a working model, a case study. And we really wanted to prove to ourselves and demonstrate how productive 
uh, small scale intensive agriculture can be. Uh, we had a, a commitment to, to make our living from the land, and we both had part-time jobs in the beginning. I was able to, to get a job as the director of the Arboretum at JMU, um, James Madison University, which was, which was a great start for me to use some of my plant knowledge there. But focusing on Radical Roots Farm was really where our heart was. So by 2005, we were both full-time on the farm. We had our first child, and we started our CSA. So we really were getting the business started, getting the, the markets online, getting getting our production up. Then, Lee, now that you're in the hot seat today, could you go ahead and give us a bit of your biography and background and where your story begins and comes up to that of Radical Roots Farm? Awesome. So um, my story begins on the eastern shore of Virginia. I have a long lineage of farming family, though I wasn't a part of that farm as far as a working part, but I grew up on the farm and moved and went to college. And then in our journey um, after college with Dave, had some similar experience in the beginning, did a permaculture course at Lost Valley as well. And from that, really felt an excitement about these things that I think that had maybe been sort of in me, but not been known could become a reality, sort of blossomed and knowing all the potentials that were being shown to me of growing food and living in a community and living sustainably. And so that was a really big turning point for me. And then the journeys that Dave and I shared working on farms in Baja, Mexico and New Zealand and Australia and starting our own farm um, has really built that experience to where once we had a, a piece of land, a raw piece of land that we could do anything with was huge. Um, and so it was really exciting to suddenly, you know, it was like all that learning every year. It was like, oh, I could keep learning forever. And then suddenly there was a point when it was, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to experience this, put my hands in the dirt and really make it last. And so that is when in 2003, when we bought this farm, mm -hmm. um, which was just a hay field, it all came together. Dave said that when you acquired this piece of land in 2003, that you were in a place where you were both working part time. You didn't have to develop the farm immediately that there was time and space to put into the design work. Were you growing on a small section of the land in order to keep your farming production up while you were working on the overall design? We um, bought the property and moved on in November of 2003. And the first thing we did was plant garlic. So we just went right for it and had someone come in and actually till an area to, so that we could start producing because the, the biggest goal was to be able to have the, the land be paying for itself. And so we wanted to, to do to start growing on it. So that winter, we got in the garlic and then we spent the whole winter designing, doing mapping on the property. And we lived in a camper trailer with a solar panel, super primitive. And it was great because we wanted to see the cycle you know, the seasons and really, you know, make good decisions about where we placed our house and where we placed um, different buildings and structures. So that first winter we built the greenhouse and that was a huge um, undertaking because we didn't have experience building greenhouses to put in a well. There was a lot that we had to do just from, you know, just to get things going and we needed water to water the greenhouse to start starts. So that was the first winter. It was a, you know, tough one. It took us forever to build the greenhouse. But once we got it going, then we at least had that structure to start making revenue from, which was important. And we had sort of mapped out where we wanted the pond and where we wanted fruit trees and things. And so the next, the next winter we built the studio apartment, which is for our housing of our apprentices currently, but back then was where we were able to live with a barn attached and a packing area for washing vegetables and things. So that provided you an opportunity to move through incremental design and still be on the site. 
Exactly. It was really important. I think that that was one of the best decisions we made is that we were actually here through all all weather. We could see where the wind was coming through. We could see um, just what, what weather was like that season versus if we were commuting, I think we would have missed a lot. And now we're sitting in your house that your children said that you had built yourself, Dave. Yeah. When did you build the house that we're currently in? It was over two winters. Um, it was over two winters. It was, um, we moved in in 2007. February 2007, so it was 2006 and 2007 that it was being built. Okay. Winter was important because during the summer we're so busy making our living on the farm that there was no, we couldn't even think about it. Like literally the first year, um, the first winter, you know, the structure was up, the windows, doors, the roof was on, and we did not come in here because it just, we didn't have time to, to touch it. It would have been too distracting, and so we needed that separation, but winter is when it was all, all done. So then it took you two years, but you were still living in that studio during we were, that time? Yeah. Both of our kids were born in the studio, and we had all of our community, you know, farm crew lunches out of the studio. And then, is this house off the grid? I saw the solar panels when I was driving up. Are you completely off, or do you have a mains tie-in? Um, we're tied into the grid. I saw solar on the roof. What size of a solar system do you have sitting up there? Uh, it's a 13-kilowatt solar power system wow. and it's great inner tide okay. so that um, we don't have to worry about the batteries. It's plenty of power for our domestic use, mm -hmm. um, but then when we are in full farms production mode during the season, we have a lot more people living here and uh, we have walk-in coolers and greenhouse fans, so we do buy power mm -hmm. in the summer, which is different for most the grid inner tide folks who might sell power in the summer and buy power in the winter. We produce plenty of power in the winter for our efficient house mm -hmm. and just the four of us, the two of us and our two kids. Okay. Um, but in the season, when we're really busy, we're, we're buying a little power. Okay. When you have apprentices on site, are they only for the growing season or do you keep some of them year-round? No, the apprentices join us for the entire growing season, uh, which for us is eight months from the beginning of March to the end of October. So they see that full season. Like this year in 2014, it was extremely cold in spring, and, and we had snow all through March almost. We even had snow on the ground in April this year, which is really rare for us in Virginia. So the apprentices come. We started on March 1st. We were mainly in the greenhouse potting up plants. Um, that's a big part of our spring business is, is growing the nursery. Uh, we focus on vegetable transplants, potted herbs, and fruiting shrubs. And we go from a small amount of overwintering stock to, you know, exponential growth. You know, we, we fill up our 3,000 square foot greenhouse, probably turn it over three, three times. I don't know what I was saying. The nursery, the nursery, like how many, um, we fill it up. Oh, yeah. Your 3,000 square foot greenhouse, you fill it up. Oh, we, we totally fill it up in the nursery in, in the month of March. So that's where most of the focus of the work is, is we have a small amount of overwintering stock, but then we start hundreds of thousands of plants from seed. All our annual vegetables, the potted herbs, and the fruiting shrubs, those are our three niches. And we turn over the greenhouse probably three or four times. So that's 12,000 square feet of vegetable transplants, some of which are for the farm. So we grow our, all our own transplants for our five-acre farm, but a lot of which is our first crop of the season selling at market. Mm -hmm. So we like to think of it as starting hundreds of different gardens throughout the state where all our customers come to market and buy their, their whole entire vegetable garden for the year. 
and herbs and fruit and shrubs. It's, it's a really fun part of the farm um, that we get to share with other folks. But that's, that's the focus of the, the work in March and April is the nursery. From there, after those first two months with the greenhouse, then how does your production change as you go through the season? Could you just go ahead and walk us through what a full growing season on the farm would be like and, let, and share with us what your interns would go through? Sure, I can start with um, the apprenticeship starts on the 1st of March, and um, it's cold, and there's a lot of greenhouse work, as Dave alluded to. We spend a lot of time in the greenhouse, but we're also out covering the high tunnel, getting some growing space ready. And once we shift out of March, April is a really big planting month. So while we're busy spreading all those little seedlings to different people's homes, we're also busy planting the farm. So April and May um, is a big planting time. So we're planting the farm. All the different annuals are going in. We're mulching, adding mulch to different beds, and starting things in the high tunnel. The high tunnel um, starts producing by late, uh, mid to late April. So we're going to market starting April 1st when we go all the way through October. And the harvest just build. So in the beginning, we're um, having smaller harvests, and then maybe takes half the day on Friday. But... Quickly, by June, the CSA is starting. So all those things, by, by the 1st of June, everything's in the ground, and we're doing a lot of maintenance. So that might be stringing tomatoes or, you know, crop supports of things. And then July, August, and September are really heavy harvest months. The harvests just get bigger and bigger to where we have peppers and tomatoes and salad greens and kale and chard, and um, we have 30 different crops that we're growing that are going to market, mm -hmm. and we'll fill the market van full to the brim where you can hardly stuff anything else in. <laughs> so there's a really big harvest time during that, and that's when everyone is working their hardest, really. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the whole crew is feeling the, the weight of lifting all those big, big heavy bins, and it's abundance. It's a lot of abundance, but it's also you're really you're working hard. And by now we're in October, and October is a lot of cleanup and finish up. So it's when you're cleaning up beds, putting in cover crop, getting things ready for next season. Yeah, we grow an average of two thousand pounds of vegetables a week for thirty weeks. Um, so we're at market from first of April to the end of October. We also have a 100-member CSA, which is Community Supported Agriculture, where we have members that sign up early, um, and then they get a, a half-bushel basket of 8 to 12 different items every week from June till September. So that's another big marketing outlet for the farm. We also do several restaurants and have a couple big wholesale accounts where we sell caseloads to different distributors that sell wholesale like the local food hub which is a non-profit local wholesaler we also sell through relay foods which is an online marketer so they take our cherry tomatoes and our salad mix to charlottesville dc richmond to a range that's further than we can get to they do home delivery i don't have the time to deliver to someone's doorstep in Northern Virginia or in, in Washington, D.C., but Relay Foods can do that for us. So we work with them, and it's a great, great partnership. We also have the nursery business. So those are our different income, stream, income streams, the farmer's markets, the restaurants, wholesale accounts, and the CSA. How long did it take you to develop all of those outlets for the farm? Were they something that you came in knowing clearly that that's what you wanted to do because of your experience with other farms? And then it was just a matter of making the right connections, or were those some things that you built over the years? 
just like in all systems, diversity builds resiliency. So we, we developed this diverse marketing strategy. And some years where we've gotten huge hailstorm in August, you know, that's stripped all our pepper plants and our chard, you know, really damaged things. So having the CSA where we could still fill out the CSA with slightly blemished butternut and, and some different crops was a valuable part of our marketing strategy. Most years we, we grow 30 different crops. So we have a diverse approach in our production side too. So we've built up both sides, production and marketing together to a point where it's, it's fairly well balanced. We, we can anticipate pretty well what we're going to produce and where we're going to sell it. We don't plant a single plant on the farm without knowing exactly where it's going. When it came to putting that together, did you have a formal business plan that you wrote down, like on paper, clearly saying what you wanted to do? Or was this something that kind of grew, uh, pardon the pun, organically? through kitchen table discussions or like how informal versus formal was that growth and development? I would say it was a mix of both. It was definitely an organic growth. Um, but I also think we are very goal oriented. And so we definitely mapped out the goals. We had short term, medium term and long term goals for the farm and for the business. Um, and in the beginning, we had 2003 was our first season on this property. And we really wanted to have a full season of growing and doing markets and seeing how the soil was, how things produced here, how the weather was before we start the CSA. Cause that's something I really believe is important um, before we have all these people commit to our season that we know that we can produce a good diversity. So in 2005, we started, we were doing the CSA and the farmer's markets. And then incrementally we've added in other things really organically, like different people really seeking us out, asking us to, to grow different things for them. And having a positive experience from that or learning through that experience has really helped our business to grow. And so it definitely, while we, I remember putting out intentions of what we wanted it to be, sometimes they seemed like there's no way that the nursery is going to get to that size and we can sell that many plants. And now I feel like it's bigger than I ever thought it would be. Um, so I think having clear intentions and clear goals and yet letting things unfold is sort of our approach. Yes, and we also grew slowly over the years. You know, we started at farmer's markets way back in 2000, and the farmer's markets were small for us, and those have really grown. You know, it's been a big part of our increase in production. One area of kind of complementary um, income for us is our education work. We do about 30 different tours, farm tours a year, and we always offer some free public tours, we have one every year on Labor Day, and then we have an, another free farm tour in April with a plant sale. But then we have school groups and community groups all the way from preschool up to grad school and beyond uh, that come and explore the farm with us for an hour and a half and have a great time. And, you know, it's infotainment and they pay a little bit. Um, so that's that's been a, when you add it all up, it's, a, it's an income stream. And we also teach uh, permaculture design courses here on the farm. Um, so we'll have one come up this February 2015. Starting slowly and growing things up and starting part-time off the farm, those first couple of years, did you have to worry about the farm being financially viable while you were building? Or was that always one of your goals that would always support itself? It was always a long-term goal to have the farm support itself and support us. And we had that goal really clearly from the beginning. We were working part-time jobs when we were getting started because the amount of infrastructure and the costs of improving the land and, and implementing the design were far, far more than we could have realized at the beginning. We spent a lot of money 
just on the infrastructure and development of the farm so that it would function as well as it does. So that that was, I don't know if it was unforeseen, but it, it took a lot more money than we got it at the beginning. So, um, but we were both full-time on the farm since 2007. And then the business has grown every year by 20% or more. So we're, we're at this point in 2014, we are not trying to grow anymore. We're at a good point. Uh, we're making a good living, and, and we are we're happy with, with where the business is at. And looking to the future, our main focus is just improving, you know, quality of life and free time and family time and those kind of aspects. The business is, is great. Now that the business has reached this kind of this level ground, is that where bringing in your apprentices and training other people up throughout the growing season? provides you more opportunity to work more than as farm managers and just directors as your business as opposed to the day-to-day operations and moment-to-moment of actual planting? I would say that no. (laughs) (laughs) I would say the apprenticeship is um, very much we get people who don't have experience and they're coming to learn just even about grow, you know, what it's like to grow things, market things from a very rudimentary level. So they don't have that experience. And our goal is to create more farmers. And so to, to give them that skill set. And we love having people return and we definitely get people that come for um, multiple seasons. But at this point, it hasn't been, it's more of, it's a beginning for them and then they can take it to where they want to take it. And everyone comes from such a different background. Mm-hmm. So different people take it and they're ready to start farming. Some people come and it's just the beginning and they still go back to sort of a more urban life, but they're going to take those skills and apply them in different ways. Um, not necessarily start and farm, but the apprenticeship is, I think it's an exchange. It gives us people who um, get to be exposed to how a successful farm works and hopefully take that knowledge to a new place. And it gives us um, a workforce to be able to get things to market and um, do a lot of the work that gets done on the farm. We've had 30 different apprentices over over the years and they're all doing really great work now. And it's wonderful for us to see where they take that work. So that's more of the motivation behind the apprenticeship than to take on our role, though I could see that being a great goal. And Lee and I are still so involved in the day-to-day production of everything that goes on the farm, and it's 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 hard to give that up because um, we enjoy it so much. You know, it's it's a big part of us and what we've created here. And you know, we learned this business through doing apprenticeships, and so we're passing that on by taking on apprentices. And they all come from a, a wide background, and they all learn a ton when they're here with us. And I think I think a lot of the lessons are, are things that they didn't come with the questions, but they get those answers. Just like, what is it like to work on a farm? Well, it's not like reading a Wendell Berry poem that inspired me to work on the farm. It's extremely physical. It's, it's really intense sometimes. It's really hard. And it's... You have to do it to appreciate it. You have to get so physically tired that you feel like you can't keep going, but you can. And then you get the long winter rest. Um, and you get that seasonal aspect of living. And, and there's these all these long-term lessons that come out of it. And it can be really empowering. Um, I think it's important for apprentices to you know, have that open-mindedness, to, to stay open, to approach it with a deep sense of respect in, in the sense that they're, you know, potentially engaging in life-changing activities. They're starting out, you know, maybe they came from the city or maybe they came from a different background, 
And after working at Ralph Roots for eight months, they're leaving as a partial farmer. You know, there, there's a farm farmer in them somewhere. Um, and it's fun to see how that kind of um, comes out in, in what they do in their future. You mentioned having the studio where your apprentices can live. And then I imagine that they are provided food as part of this process. Do they, are they also provided any kind of a stipend or wage for the apprenticeship? Yeah, they have their compensation package is, is housing and the studio apartment is pretty nice. That's where we live when we were um, having kids and stuff. The bedrooms are pretty rustic, but there's also great outdoor patio area. And, and then they get food that we grow on the farm. They don't get staples like beans and rice, but they get food that they grow on the farm. And then they also get a stipend, which works out to be, I mean, it starts at $500 a month and then increases per month as they gain more experience. So we also do classes and field trips once a week. So Thursday afternoon, we'll take an hour and a half and do a focused session on one aspect of the farm, like irrigation or bed prep or transplanting or greenhouse management. That we do hands-on because most of the learning they're going to get is is hands-on. And that's, that's so different than the theoretical side, which a lot of the formal education provides. This is all hands-on practical, and that's a totally different balance. But we do an hour and a half class, and we also go to other farms to see how they do it. And I think that's that foundation of like learning one system in all its detail and then when you go to another farm, you can pick up things from how they do similar tasks, maybe really differently. If the apprentices have a, a firm foundation in, in our system, they can, in a two-hour tour on another farm, pick up a lot of, of details and learning. Yeah, the apprenticeship program, I think, is definitely balanced with that teaching time, that, that set time. I think apprentices really value knowing that there's this time set aside for them. And so I think that we've gotten the feedback that that's some of their favorite time. And I think some of it's really life-changing when you get the permaculture background and you get, I offer herbal classes so people learn how to make teas and tinctures. And that can be life-changing because we've talked a lot about diet and we eat meals together and it's amazing that something really small can change people's lives. And, and I get feedback every year. Um, we get really great letters back from different apprentices. Once they've had it sink in and they realize different things have impacted and changed their life and their diet and just their perspective on the world. So it's not always just the farm work. It's, mm -hmm. it's everything that comes together. And the apprenticeship, it's really challenging. And I, I always stress that to our applicants. Like, this is extremely hard work. And I can't understate how challenging it is. And not to dissuade people, but just to take it seriously and approach it with, you know, a sense of respect and, and commitment that it's going to take to get through it. And, you know, of the 30 or more apprentices we have, have had, overwhelmingly, most people have completed the apprenticeship successfully and, and, and learned a ton from it. And then we've had, a, you know, a few folks that couldn't complete it and you know it's it's been overwhelming for them and and we've tried to address that and make it you know more clear we we have a 30 page handbook now that goes into the into you know lots of detail about what's what's this going to be like on the farm well here's 30 pages that spells it out like and when we say it's going to be hard we mean really hard like market days we get up at 4 a.m every day we're you know we're working by seven whether it's raining, whether it's hot, no, no matter what, we're outside working. And that's really different. 
for most people. So it takes a lot of adjustment and has a lot of reward. Yeah, it's always exciting to um, get feedback back from apprentices when they've gone on to use their knowledge that they've gained here. Um, we get really wonderful um, feedback of, of how it's impacted farms that they have been created, as well as people who've worked with farmers markets, garden programs, kids garden programs and schools. It really, the knowledge is so, you can take it in so many different places. From what you've shared with me and from what I've read of other programs and projects, you have a very different structure from what I've encountered before because of not only how much you include your apprentices in the process of really being involved in everything from the beginning of the season to the end, but the fact that you're also structuring in that firm education time to make sure that they really have a hands-on approach to it and that it's not just labor, that there is a value exchange there that goes beyond just working on the farm. And I, like my background is as a teacher, I really appreciate the fact that that's something that you're including in this is not just uh, you're going to come and do the work and learn as you go. We're going to make sure that you learn about this work as you do it. It's really cool. These are the kinds of questions that a lot of listeners have is how do I start a farm? How, if I have a farm, how do I provide, you know, equitable value exchanges with people? Once someone goes through your apprentice program and completes it, what kind of support do you provide to them after the fact if they want to get in touch with you uh, with work on their own farm or wanting to go work with someone else? I can't tell you the amount of references I do. <laughs> I get, I do I've done references for most of our apprentices, and I love doing that. I love that connection. Um, I'm always happy to do that. Um, but we also get a lot of people who, through email or calling us, um, need advice on, oh, I'm going to grow this crop. Can you help me remember? Um, what do I do? Where do I find this resource? And I feel like we get a good amount of that. Um, that's something that we talk about with apprentices. We want to be their mentor. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, as a new farmer, we we did all of our farm work far away. You know, we were working doing apprenticeships on the West Coast, and here we are on the East Coast. So we had to create that network. We have a lot of farming friends that were um, young like us, and we we call each other and we, we figure things out together. Um, but we want to offer that to our apprentices. So mm -hmm. we definitely have that relationship and and say it's not just this year; it's next year for many years when you have questions, we want to be that resource. And so that's something that we do. One other question that I should have asked earlier when we were talking about uh, revenue and different streams is your farm is certified organic? Yes, we are certified organic. We um, became certified in 2012. Okay. There's a lot of discussion about whether or not someone should pursue that certification with the expense and the paperwork involved. And I know that there are other organizations such as Certified Naturally Grown that are trying to provide a, an alternative to organic certification. Is there a particular reason why you chose to go with that certification? Was it because of consumer awareness of that as a concept or was it something else? We, um, for a couple of years, were certified naturally grown mm -hmm. um, and found that that didn't ha we had to really educate people on what that meant. Mm -hmm. So we found that that wasn't really giving us a lot of, it was a lot, it was just a lot more conversation that had to happen versus people really want to hear organic. They're saying, are you organic? And it's, we found that for us, especially as markets become more co competitive and uh, as we want to wholesale more, having that label was really valuable for us. And so I think the initial was, let's try it and see how it goes. So the first year, you know, we're like, let's try it. And it was a lot of paperwork and it's definitely more money. And I definitely think it takes an organized farm to be able to become certified organic. And that was something that I was appreciative of ourselves, just that, and that we had that record keeping that really already in place. But also, it's really nice to be able to just, when someone asks, to be able to give that answer. 
Are you organic at market? Yes, we are. And not to have to go into the whole long discussion of here's our growing practices. So we've really enjoyed that from the certification. For our business, it's been very successful. I feel extremely happy with it. But I do think that it, as we, it's helped us move more wholesale, mm-hmm. which I also am enjoying. I think with the plant nursery, it gives us a niche that other nurseries don't have because we're taking the, definitely it's more expensive to have certified organic starts. We have to pay attention to potting mix, seeds, the whole gamut that um, it's more expensive, but it's worth it. And people are really demanding that. Yeah, that's really where the demand is. Uh, The USDA organic program is really strict and it has a lot of integrity because it's so strict. We want it to be strict and we get fully audited like our whole entire business and it's not just our organic growing methods it's our entire supply chain you know so anything that we don't actually produce that's one of our supply chains like our seeds like our potting soil when we do buy compost every single amendment our entire supply chain has to be documented and certified organic the organic program is, is really strict it has a lot of integrity it also has the most market identity. I mean, it's it's basically the, the gold seal um, of approval in the customer's eye. So that's where the demand is. So that's where we went. I definitely, just to be upfront, like it's definitely a lot of paperwork. And But I think that um, it's made our farm that much of a better farm. We, we have to keep really great records. So I feel like the integrity of our crops even became better. Even though we were doing all the same other things before, it has that much more design and implementation. Just things are really well organized. Because both of you have permaculture background, I'm going to ask a bit of a loaded question here. Do you think that the organic certification is enough? No, I don't. <laughs> I definitely don't. Um, I think that there's a lot about building soil, that permaculture and just sustainable agriculture is important. Um, and so a lot of what we do while cover cropping is definitely something that they're looking for. They definitely ask really great questions in their certification process, but we are making sure that we're building soil and adding microbial life and creating a, just a really live farm as well as having diversity on our farm. So we don't just have one big square that's a monocrop, but having that diversity, having fruit trees, having beneficials, they don't ask those questions. Though they, they definitely appreciate those, that work that we do. I think that you do need to take it a step further. Yeah, I mean, the whole design approach of our farm is that it's integrated annuals and perennials. So we have uh, water catchment swales on contour and those berms are planted in fruit trees and so all the annual gardens are broken up by um, linear fruit tree gills that act as a perennial planting strip for the annual gardens which is where all the diversity and habitat is located no you don't have to do that to be certified organic but yes in our permaculture farm we are going to benefit from that kind of diversity so yeah we can go a lot further than being certified organic but when I shop for food, I want certified organic, right. and I, I want to produce certified organic food. So I think I think it's it's good from a supply and a demand standpoint. I know that you have a production farm going on around us, and you've both spent a good amount of your time today with me in answering these questions and having this conversation. Before we draw it to a close, is there anything else that you would like to add for the permaculture community and the body of listeners? I've really enjoyed so many things about our farm, and you know. This conversation has prompted me to kind of look back on it um, the past 14 years of, of farming at Rathla Ruth's Farm and, 
And really some of the main lessons for me and, and lessons that I like to share for all the folks that do come here and come on our tours and, and that I get to speak with are some of the most valuable lessons are that how extremely abundant and productive well-designed gardens can be on a small scale. And when people come to the farm and, and I show them five acres of annual and integrated perennial production and tell them how many people we feed with it, and also tell them that all the seeds for this year's annual production could fit in a shoebox, you know, 2,000 to 4,000 pounds a week for 30 weeks. It's, it's just the abundance of nature, you know, is, is really exponential. And, and we, can, we can capture that in the garden and we can feed ourselves and feed our community in the garden. And, and it's, it's really uh, that abundance is one thing that has really motivated us and that we've tried to, to share and to promote um, the abundance of nature. And so that's that's something that we've focused on here um, and it's, it's, it's been really successful for us. It's been amazing for me to watch the growth of the permaculture and sustainable ag communities grow. So I feel like when we were beginning and learning about permaculture, it was such a small thing that people didn't even know what it was. When you'd start talking about permaculture, you had to give a definition because no one knew. Yeah. And so it's been really exciting um, over the last 15 years as we have more tour groups and people come to watch what we're doing and to learn from it. And we have all kinds of backgrounds to watch people know and understand the importance of organic food and permaculture and sustainability. Um, so for me, I need to remember that and to look around and really appreciate all that we're doing and, and what abundance we are surrounded by every day. Um, and the people that come here, I feel such gratitude for the environment and the people who shine on us um, and just really hope that we're able to give it back and many, many, many times, thousands of times to all these different people so that they can go create something of a similar magnitude. And on that message of abundance, thank you both for joining me today for this conversation and inviting me to your farm to sit down and talk. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. And those were Lee and Dave O'Neill of Radical Roots Farm in Virginia. You'll find a link to Radical Roots and find out more about their internship program in the show notes at thepermaculturepodcast.com slash 2014 slash Radical Roots. I like these interviews with farmers, particularly those engaged in ecological design and permaculture, because they show how many different ways we can get started, and often on much less land than we expect. Lee and Dave began by wolfing for numerous years, before finally renting some land and then buying property. My friend Aaron Harvey worked at co-ops and four other people in order to get farming experience, and then rented land in order to get in order to get her operation started in Ohio. Wayne Herring started out by borrowing space from family members before purchasing his own land. For anyone who wants to farm and do it in a way that benefits Earth, there are lots of different options to get started. If you'd like to find out more about how Radical Roots began, you'll find the farm and more information about Lee and Dave featured in Peter Bain's The Permaculture Handbook. As always, if along your path there's any way that I can help connect you with resources that would make a difference in your own life, if you're looking for land or someone to learn to farm from, or perhaps partner with, let me know. Get in touch. It's why I share my contact information. Even though I've only produced 125 or 150 interviews, I've been in touch with five or 600 different people in the permaculture community in order to get all these things off the ground and through various 
emails and phone calls and everything else in between. So there's a big network for me to tap into in order to lend you a hand. Give me a call, 717-827-6266, or email show at permaculturepodcast.com. Together we really can create a beautiful, bountiful world by taking care of Earth, ourselves, and each other.